so help us in Jesus' name. Amen. Take a seat. Find John chapter 10. The Gospel according to John, the 10th chapter. This morning we're going to read verses 1 through 21. So if you found John verse 10, say word. It says this, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that entereth not by the door into the sheepfold, but climbeth up some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. But he that entereth in by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the porter openeth, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calleth his own sheep by name, and leadeth them out. And when he putteth forth his own sheep, he goeth before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. And a stranger they will not follow, but will flee from him, for they know not the voice of strangers." This parable spake Jesus unto them, but they understood not what things they were which he spake unto them. Then said Jesus unto them again, Verily, verily, I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep. All that ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. The thief, the thief cometh not, but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life, and that they might have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. But he that is an hireling, and not the shepherd, whose own the sheep are not, seeth the wolf coming, and leaveth the sheep, and fleeth. And the wolf catcheth them and scattereth the sheep. The hireling fleeth because he is an hireling and cares not for the sheep. I am the good shepherd and know my sheep and am known of mine. As the Father knoweth me, even so I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, them also I must bring and they shall hear my voice, and there shall be one fold and one shepherd. Therefore doth my Father love me, because I lay down my life, that I might take it again. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my Father." There was a division, therefore, again among the Jews for these sayings. And many of them said, He hath the devil and is mad. Why hear ye him? Others said, These are not the words of him that hath the devil. Can a devil open the eyes of the blind? Before we dive into the text, um, I want to just make a statement that I hope, will, I hope is true. And that statement is this, 
to us who are believers, Jesus is everything. Jesus is important to us, right? He is, he must be, and he is important to us. And we, for that reason, because of his value and how we have seen who Christ is, we worship him. So we sing, we pray, we give, we take part in church things, and we, we love God because the Bible says he first loved us. And so we value God, we value Christ, and we worship him. And so I mention that to you because I want you to see this text about the shepherd and sheep is in context of a, what's going on here is there are some who are worshiping him and some who are not. We've talked about this really for the last few weeks. So look with me in chapter 9, verse 24. I want you to look at a couple things. Look at 9, 24. You remember, as we've talked the last two weeks about the blind man, and I want to thank Jason for filling in last week and giving you the second half of chapter 9. He did a great job, a great sermon last week. And in chapter 9, verse 24, it says, um, Then again they called the man that was blind and said unto him, Give God the praise. We know that this man, Jesus, is a sinner. Now go back to chapter 10 and find verse 19 and 20. It says, There was a division therefore again among the Jews for these sayings, And many of them said, he has a devil and is mad or insane. Why do you hear him? So from chapter 9 and now in chapter 10, we see the Pharisees, these Jewish Pharisees are saying this about Jesus. He is a sinner, he is insane, and he has a demon. That's what the Pharisees are saying about Jesus. And so are they worshiping Christ? Clearly not. They continually reject Christ. But let me show you another point of view in this section of Scripture. So go back to chapter 9, verse 38. In 938, we saw this man who was blind and who Christ healed. And in chapter chapter 9, verse 38, he said, Lord, I believe. And then what does it say? And he worshipped him. Now flip back to chapter 10. Once again, chapter 10, verse 21, others said, These are not the words of him that has a devil. Can a devil open the eyes of the blind? I want to point out to you that the Pharisees said Jesus is insane, he's a sinner, he is demon-possessed, and other people, including this blind man who was healed, said, no, he is Lord, and I worship him. And so I want to say at the outset this morning, which side would you be on? Are you a worshiper of Christ or a rejecter of Christ? And when it comes to our Lord, there really is no gray area, right? You can't straddle the fence. You must be for Him or against Him. You must believe in Him or you don't. You either follow Him or you don't. He is Lord of your life or He is not Lord at all. When it comes to Christ, you cannot straddle the fence. And so have that in your mind as we approach this text about the shepherd and the sheep. The first section I want to point out is verses 1 through 6 of our text, and this is an interesting parable about sheep. And as you might have guessed, I am not an expert in sheep whatsoever. Growing up, we did have some cows and we had some pigs, never had sheep. But I have read a lot about sheep and uh, heard a lot of sermons about sheep over the years. 
And so I'll try to explain to you that the best I know what Jesus is talking about here. And so in verses 1 through 6, it's really a parable. Now this figure of speech, this parable, this story that Jesus uses to really, I think, point out false teachers. I think that's the main point of verses 1 through 6 is to call out these Pharisees as false teachers. And so let me give you the parts of 1 through 6. I have it here for you to look at on the screen. Um, You're going to notice these parts of it. There you go. So I'm going to give you this and I'll try to explain it. So there's the sheepfold, which is the large gathering, the large pen where all the sheep will stay together. There's the door, which is obvious. It's the way into the sheepfold. There are thieves and robbers. These are those people who uh, try to climb. They try to get in the sheepfold without using the door. They try to climb in other ways. There's the shepherd. He is the one. They, they are the ones who are allowed into the sheepfold, and they're the ones who speak to the sheep, and the sheep hear their voice. The doorkeeper is this person hired to stay by the door to guard it, and then the sheep are those, obviously, the animals who hear the voice of their shepherd, and they follow. So that's kind of the parts of this story. So basically, here's how things would happen in these days. Many shepherds would go out every morning and take their flocks, and they would go and herd their flocks. And at the end of the day, they would come back to one central location called a sheepfold, and they would put all their sheep in one central gathering. All their sheep would be mixed together. And they would put their money together. They would hire one guy called a porter or a doorkeeper, and he would stay there all night guarding the sheep. That was his job. And so then every morning, the shepherds would come back. The doorkeeper would recognize the shepherds. He would allow the shepherds back into the pen. They would go in there. They would call their sheep, and their sheep knew their voices and would follow them, which I think is pretty neat. They would follow them, and some of the shepherds were even so good, they would like give their sheep names, and they would call their name, and, and the sheep would know and follow the shepherd. And so what's this parable about? Uh, what, is th- what does that have to do with what Jesus is saying here to these Pharisees? Well, notice in verse 6 that what he said, they did not understand. They didn't even understand it. But what he's saying to them is really this. God has called you, you Pharisees, technically you should be the leaders of Israel. You should be the religious leaders. People should be looking to you, and you should be guiding people toward God and the things of God, the things of Christ, and yet you are not good shepherds. You are not good leaders. You've rejected Christ. We saw in chapter 9, they not only rejected Christ, they ejected the, the man that God, the Christ healed, they ejected him from the synagogue. So they are not good shepherds. They, in this story, the Pharisees are the thieves and the robbers. They continue to be blinded to the truth, hard-hearted, hard-headed, and as someone said Wednesday night, haters of Jesus. And so I think in verses 1 through 6, we see a, a lesson, a clear lesson on leadership. And we see that there are false leaders and false shepherds and true shepherds. In Expository Thoughts on the Gospel, uh, J.C. Ryle said this, True shepherds of souls is he who enters the ministry with a single eye to Christ, desiring to glorify Christ, doing all in the strength of Christ, preaching Christ's doctrine, walking in Christ's steps, and laboring to bring men and women to Christ. That's 
true shepherds of souls, true leaders of God's people. And then there are also false leaders who pretend to lead God's people or do it for the wrong reasons. I've noticed over the years, especially the last eight or nine years since I've been a pastor, people like to talk to me about their pastor. If it's some, someone not in my church, and, and they'll find out, find, find out I'm a pastor, and they'll want to tell me about their pastor. Sometimes it's great. Sometimes they're like, my pastor's amazing, he's a great preacher, you know, good person, he cares for people, all these different things they'll say. But then sometimes it's not so great. <laughs> sometimes it's like, you know what, my preacher stinks. You know, he's a nice person, but he can't preach. He has no skills. He can't preach. He, he's a good, you know, or he, maybe he's a good preacher, but he, ha, he doesn't have administration skills. And they'll point out these different things about their pastor. And while it is true that different pastors have different levels of skill when it comes to preaching, administration, uh, pastoring, all these different areas of ministry, I would say this to you, and that is that genuine leaders and true shepherds do their best to point people to Christ more than anything else, because our skills are only limited, right? Our skills are limited, our strength is limited, we as men of God are limited, but the thing we can do, the thing I can do, and I hope I can do a better job of, is to point us all to Christ, who is unlimited, right? I'm a limited fountain of what I can give you, but I can point you to the everlasting fountain of Christ, who's always giving and guiding and shepherding and leading us. So he continues, as I think here made this distinction between good shepherds and poor shepherds. In verses 7 through 10, he, he kind of changes a little bit on this analogy because he, he is the shepherd really in the first six verses, but in 7 through 10, he becomes something else. What's it say in verse 7? I am the door of the sheep. We've already seen a few I am statements from Christ. But we see another one here, I am the door. The Pharisees are the thieves and robbers. They're not leading the people of God to, to God. But he says, I am the way. I am the door. Salvation is found in me. Look with me at verse 9. I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. As I was studying on I Am the Door, I was thinking about growing up, going to my Memo Johnson's house. They lived right out in front of us, and every morning I would go up there, and she would have good breakfast, right? Homemade biscuits and, you know, bacon, all that kind of stuff. But I, I, was, I remember the TV being on, and it, it was always those game shows, right? The Price is Right, that was my jam. I love The Price is Right. One dollar, one dollar. And then uh, Let's Make a Deal. Did you ever watch Let's Make a Deal? So they'd be, I remember there being the three doors, right? You get to choose what's behind door number one, you know. And sometimes you might get a good prize, sometimes you might not. And I, I, that popped in my mind, thinking about these different doors, these different doors that they would open. And Jesus says here, if you look back in verse 9 with me, and make sure I'm reading this correctly, Jesus says, I am a door. Anybody? I am a door. No, I am what? The door. Jesus points to the exclusive, the exclusiveness of him to salvation. He is the only way. By the way, the world hates that. The world hates that we say that, but we must always say that. The scripture says that. Christ is the way, the truth, the life. He is the door. 
In verses 9 and 10, I would ask this question, why is Jesus gathering a flock? Why is he doing it? Well, in verse 9 it says that they may go in and out and find pasture. And in verse 10 it says it even more plainly. The thief comes to kill, steal, destroy, but I've come to give life. Jesus comes, first of all, I'll give you three of these, but he comes, first of all, to give us spiritual life. Before we come to Christ, we are spiritually dead, lacking that spiritual life we need. And in Christ, he provides that. He gives us what we need spiritually. And as verse 9 says, we go in and out, and we are the sheep of his pasture And so we hear the word, and that's him feeding us, and he cares for us. And so he gives us, number one, spiritual life. Number two, we know he gives us eternal life, which is our hope. We have this hope. We discussed it in prayer meeting this morning. We have a hope that is certain, right? There's so many things in this life. I would say almost everything in this life is uncertain. But our biblical hope of eternal life is certain. Someone said, by Moses came laws, rules, ordinances, and ceremonies. By Christ came grace, truth, and eternal life. So spiritual life, eternal life, and then I'll mention thirdly, abundant life. The word abundant here means over and above. It means excessive. Christ gives his sheep, verse 10, he gives his people life more abundantly. I'll say it again, he is a never-ending fountain of all that we need in this world. He gives us life abundant. So next, let's move on to verses 11 through 18. Notice how, how is Jesus gathering and giving life to his flock. Verse 11, another I am statement from Christ. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. Verse 12, But he that is a hireling and not the shepherd, whose own the sheep are not, seeth the wolf coming and leaveth the sheep and fleeth. The wolf catcheth them and scattereth the sheep. And so there's this picture here of how they might would hire some part-time help to help with the sheep. And Jesus says here, I'm not some random hireling brought on to care for the sheep. Because the hireling mentioned here At the first sign of trouble, he abandons the sheep and runs away. But Jesus says, that's not me. I am the good shepherd, and I lay down my life for the sheep. You see the stark difference between Christ, the true shepherd, and other false shepherds. And he gives us a taste of this in Matthew 18 when he said, What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray... Does he not leave the 99 on the mountains and go in search of the one that went astray? And if he finds it, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more than over the 99 that never went astray. So it is not the will of my Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. That picture of God's heart for his sheep. That Christ is the good shepherd. Verse 16 I actually would like to do a whole other sermon on verse 16. and might do that sometime. Verse 16 reminds us and shows us that Christ says, I have others who are not of this fold, speaking here specifically of the Gentiles, that he must go and bring in. And he says, I'll go and they will hear my voice and there will be one flock. 
This, to me, is also a teaching on the, uh, the truth of God's election and irresistible grace, that there are people out there who are not saved, that He has prepared for them to be saved, and that He will go one day through the church and the preaching of the Word, and they will hear His voice, and they will follow Him. It guarantees us, by the way, as we live our lives for Christ and share Christ, that all those he has for himself, he will bring to himself. Verses 17 and 18, notice the voluntary sacrifice. R.C. Sproul said this about verses 17 and 18. He said, it's important for us to remember that the death of Christ was a perfect voluntary sacrifice. And then he said this, Pilate had no power over him. Caiaphas had no power over him. Annas had no power over him. The Roman emperor had no power over him. He laid down his life for his sheep. The voluntary sacrifice of Christ. Verse 18, no man take it from me, but I lay it down. Another place the scripture says, greater love has no man, no one than this, right? To lay down your life for your friends. Christ willingly laid down his life for his sheep. Let me give you three thoughts here about, three quick thoughts about Christ as the good shepherd. He says this in verse 11, and he says it again in verse 14, I am the good shepherd. Three things about the good shepherd. First, he knows his people. He knows his people. He knows everything about us, doesn't he? Doesn't the Lord know everything about us? He knows, he knew us before we were born. He, he knows everything we've ever been through, and He knows everything we're going to go through. He knows the numbers of hair, hairs on our heads or lack thereof. But He knows everything about us. He is perfectly acquainted with all His sheep, with us. That should cause us to worship Him. That should cause us to, to see Him as our shepherd because He knows us. Let, uh, secondly, notice that he cares for us. He doesn't just know his sheep, but he cares for his sheep. Like a shepherd out there with his sheep who provides what they need and protects them and cares for them, Christ does the same for us. He protects us. He provides for us. He cares for us. He gives us the food of his word. He gives us the living water to sustain us. He gives us all that we need, as a good shepherd does. And then finally, notice that he dies for his people. He lays down his life for his people. Christ knew by the plan of God the only way we could be saved from our sin would be for him to lay down his life. All right? He knew that. He came with that mission. He came with that purpose. So let me ask you this. Could anything have stopped Christ from going to the cross? Did any earthly thing have stopped Christ from going to the cross? Was he willing to be stopped? Remember the Garden of Gethsemane? Not my will, Father, but your will be done. Christ willingly, voluntarily, lovingly laid down his life for us. Look at verse 19. We come back to kind of where we started from. A division among the people. 
And so as I read through John 10, 1 through 21, the, the thing I, I, I continue, continue to go back to is, are you a worshiper of Christ or a rejecter of Christ? And please, anyone that's listening to us today, understand you can't be in the middle, right? You're with him or you're not. You worship him or you don't. Even these Pharisees who thought they were good shepherds, thought they were leading the people of God, thought they were doing the right things, thought they had all the knowledge and all the spirituality, Jesus said, no, you are thieves and robbers. You're leading people astray, but I am the good shepherd. So let me give you three implications. Three implications from this text for us. The first one is to watch out for false teachers. Do y'all think, do you you think you, be specific to yourself, do you think you can be tricked by a false biblical teacher? Anybody? I mean, you don't have to raise your hand, but possibly, because some, I would say most false teachers in our day are pretty clever. They're able to take, much like Satan, or biblical, what we see in here in the Bible, false teachers, take a little bit of scripture and twist it, right? Or they might even stand up with a Bible and teach and yet still be false teachers. And so I want us to see that we might, could be susceptible if we're not careful to having false teachers come in and impact us in some way we shouldn't. I want to read this to you, and I did not intend to read this whole thing, but I think I'm going to. And this is a song called False Teachers by a musician named Shalim. Most of you probably would not enjoy his music, but I think he has some of the best lyrics of any songwriter there is. And this is a song about false teachers. I want to read it to you. And I want you to think about this. And again, it's kind of a catchy song, so some of, the, some of the language is, you know, different. But I'm just going to read it. He says, let me begin while there's still ink left in my pen. I'm set to contend for truth you can bet will offend. Deception within the church, man who's letting them in. We talked about this years ago. Let's address it again. And I ain't really trying to start beef, but some who claim to be part of the sheep got some sharp teeth. And cats get mean when you criticize them. But Jesus told us, Matthew 7, 16, we can recognize them. And God forbid that for the love of some fans, I keep quiet and watch them die with with their blood on my hands. So there's nothing left for me to do except except to speak to you. In the spirit of Jude 3 and 2 Peter 2. And I know that some will label me a Pharisee because today the only heresy is saying there's heresy. I'll dare to be specific and drop some clarity on the popularity of the gospel of prosperity. Turn off TBN, that channel's overrated. The pastors speak bogus statements, financially motivated. It's kind of like a pyramid scheme. Visualize heretics Christianizing the American dream. It's foul and deceitful, they're lying to people, teaching that camels squeeze through the eye of a needle. Ungodly and wicked, ask yourself, how can they not be convicted treating Jesus like a lottery ticket? And you're thinking they're not the dangerous type because some of their statements are right? 
that only proves that Satan comes as an angel of light. This teaching can't be believed without a cost. The lie is you can achieve a crown without a cross. And I hear it all the time when they speak on the block. Even unbelievers are shocked how they're fleecing the flock. It should be obvious then, yet I'll explain why it's sin. Peep the Bible, it's in 1 Timothy 6, 9-10. through 10. Talks about how the desire for riches has left many souls on fire in stitches mired in ditches. Tell me who would teach you to pursue as a goal the very thing that the Bible says will ruin your soul. Yet they're encouraging the love of money. To make it worse, they've exported this garbage into other countries. My heart breaks even now as I'm rhyming. You want to know what all false teachers have in common? It's called selfism, the fastest growing religion. They just dress it up and call it Christian. Don't be deceived by this funny biz. If you come to Jesus for, your, for money, and he's not your God, money is. Jesus is not a means to an end. The gospel he came to redeem us, the gospel is he came to redeem us from sin. And that is the message forever I'll yell. If you're living your best life now, you're headed for hell. And then, in the song, he calls out false teachers. See if you can hear your favorite. Joel Osteen's a false teacher. Creflo Dollar is a false teacher. Benny Hinn is a false teacher. T.D. Jakes is a false teacher. Joyce Meyer is a false teacher. Paula White is a false teacher. Fred Price is a false teacher. Kenneth Copeland is a false teacher. Robert Tilton is a false teacher. Eddie Long is a false teacher. Juanita Bynum is a false teacher. Paul Crouch is a false teacher. Use your discernment and let the Bible lead you. Pretty good song. That's one song. 2 Peter 2, 1 through 3. But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their sensuality, and because of them the way of truth will be blasphemed. In their greed they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. Church, it's part of, you know, my job as your pastor and as leaders in the church to protect us from false teaching, which is why we, I hope we stay so focused on the Word, and we have a doctrinal statement that we have in the back there you can look at that kind of gives some parameters on what we believe. And this is why it's so important for us to meet together. And on Wednesday nights, discuss the Bible. After church, you have a question, discuss it, that we might sharpen what we know and believe and have our foundation of truth be solid. And never get to the point where we think, well, I, I pretty much know what I need to know. No, we need to always be learning and growing and knowledge and faith. And we do that together. And if we stay together, we're less likely to be picked off by the wolves, Right? So we flock together to be stronger. Pray for me as I try to do my best to make sure I'm staying close to the truth and in the truth and that we as a church will fend off false teachings. But in your own life, it might be on TV, it might be on the internet, it's certainly out there all around us. Watch out for false teachers. And one way you can know a false teacher, by the way, is what do they say about Christ? And they might try to throw his name in there and say some stuff about him, but 
Do they say he's God? Or do, do they deny his deity? Do they say he is the exclusive, the only way to, to, to God? Is Christ the only way? Or do they deny that? What, what they say about Christ will tell you a lot. Watch out for false teachers. Number two, uh, listen to your shepherd. I read a story this week of a man who went to Palestine and he was woke up early one morning and looking out over this big, he called it a gorge, he saw just this plethora of sheep everywhere. And he noticed a whole group of men out there hanging out, just kind of talking, shooting the breeze. And he, he realized pretty quickly they were actually the shepherds for these different flocks of sheep. But all the sheep are all mixed together. I'm assuming that maybe they just come out of the sheepfold, maybe. And so they began to, each, each shepherd began to walk away and, and spread, go different ways. And as they would go, each flock would begin to follow their own shepherd. And he said as they, as they all kind of spread out went different directions, you could tell there were some stragglers, some, some strays that kind of got lost or didn't quite go where they were supposed to go. And he said he noticed one shepherd turned and yelled out some loud noise, some loud call. And as soon as he did, a few of those strays, their head popped up and they went that way. And then another shepherd would make his call. Some crazy, he spelled it out, I'm not going to try to yell it out. He made this call and whole, another group of strays looked up and followed that way. And he said, what a great picture. And he said this, he said, I noticed that none of the wandering sheep seemed to notice any voice except the voice of their very own shepherd. It's pretty good. They're sitting there, they're strays, maybe they're wandering a little bit, and they hear the voice of their shepherd and they go. Other voices were being yelled out. They didn't listen. They didn't go. That's not their voice. not their shepherd. They heard the voice of their shepherd. They went. Jesus is our shepherd. And so I think that's a good way to, you know, examine yourself this morning and ask, am I a sheep? Do I hear through the word and through the spirit of God in my heart, do I hear the voice of the shepherd? Because as a believer, God has not only put the Holy Spirit in us and dwelled in us to change our desires and change our affections, but as He guides and leads us through His Word, we should be swayed by Him more than other voices. Things of this world, other people, other things should not sway us as much as the voice of our shepherd should sway us. And so when you hear truth and when you hear the Word of God, even in your spirit, do you go, yes and amen? Or do you go, whatever, whatever, it's just truth. Or does it mean something to you? Listen to your shepherd. Now sometimes we're stubborn sheep. Sometimes we're wandering sheep. But if you're his, the Bible teaches he calls and you will follow. We'll see more of that next week as well. And finally, the third implication. Believe and worship. Like the blind man in chapter 9 who Jesus healed. And Jesus found him and said, do you believe? This is 935. Do you believe on the Son of God? And the, the man who was healed said, who is he that I might believe? 
And Jesus said, it's me. I'm, the, I'm Christ. I'm the Son of God. And it says he believed and he worshipped. Believe and worship. So maybe there's someone listening today who maybe even today you're thinking you're hearing the voice of the shepherd for the first time. The Bible says to repent of your sin, abandon your sin, enter in the door, which is to say have faith in Christ alone, follow the good shepherd, and worship him forever. You cannot straddle the fence when it comes to Christ. Worship him or reject him, and I encourage you to believe and worship. Would you stand?